G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. An amazing story today from someone who says if you are free and you don't stand up for those who are not free, your freedom is meaningless. The story of Simon Deng, who was a refugee from Sudan and a survivor of child slavery. He's a native of a place called Shaluk Kingdom in southern Sudan. And he spent many years as a domestic slave in northern Sudan. He's joining us today to talk about his story. Hello, Simon Deng. Welcome to 2020. Thank you for having me on today. Simon, tell us your story of those early days in Sudan. Of course, what I'm going to to say, it will shock your listeners. And most important, will shock everybody in Australia uh, that... The slavery that we look at it as the history of the past, it is exist, and it is exists even today in a country in Sudan. I am speaking to you as a living proof of the slavery that you assume as a history of the past. Of course, I'm no longer a slave. I'm a free man living among the free peoples in a free nation's and talking to the free peoples in Australia. I was taken into the slavery when I was nine years old and was given away by my slave master who abducted me from southern Sudan and I was brought to another Sudan. He gave me away as a gift to his relatives. Of course, gift that we know, it does not include human being. But in southern Sudan, a child that happened to be an African child, a black child, in the eye of the Arabs, in the eye of the Islamics of Khartoum, and that child can be a gift, and I was a gift. I'm not ashamed to say what happened to me, and of course I hate to talk about what happened to me as a child. I do talk about it to let the world know that the slavery that you assume as the history of the past is exists in the eye of the Islamic when they look at the, a black person or a black child. Yes, indeed. Most people know about the conflicts in Sudan between the southern Sudanese and the northern Sudanese. But a lot of people does not know that a lot of the kids were taken from southern Sudan in the name of Islamizations and brought to the northern Sudan. And they were sold into the slavery for $10 for a person, and that is by the records of the United Nations, that you can buy a human being in Sudan for $10. These are my people. Simon, you were given away as a gift, and in those days, uh, is it the same today as it was then, that children are still given away as gifts? Well, when we talk about comparing today and yesterday, things are not the same. 
slavery that we know, it comes now in a different form. And of course, the, the government of Sudan at that time always alleged that, yes, slavery exists, but it is because of the war. Yeah, if it is of the war, then why the government, if it happened to the government of all peoples, why the government does not condemn, does not bring those who sold peoples into the slavery for $10? Why the government does not hold those who give other people, young kids, as a gift? Why they are not being brought to the books? So this is what we, we talk about. Yes, slavery still exists today, Sudan, but in a different form, not in the form that where I was being given away as a gift. Simon, you were raised as a Christian boy, and it's still minorities in these Islamic countries that are on the receiving end, the suffering end, uh, when Islamization is on the rise. Uh, do you still hold tight to your Christian faith and and how significant is it that these minorities are under such threat? Yes, indeed, I was uh, raised or born in a, a Christian family. I'm a Catholic. But in the eyes of the government of cartoons, I'm not being seen as a Christian. I'm being seen as an infidel, an abit in Arabic. And that has happened to every person in southern Sudan under the systems of the Islamic, because as you know, when we talk about Sudan, and we talk about Islam, Sudan is the only country in the continent of Africa as an Islamic state, where everything is under the Sharia law. If you are not a Muslim, then you are an infidel. You are not even being looked as a person who believes in the books, whether you believe in Quran or you believe in, 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 in the Bibles. There is one book in the Islamic state and Islamic country, which is Quran. So any person that happened in Sudan before the Sudan now become two countries, and it become two countries because of all these reasons that I'm talking about, enslavement of the kids uh, and, and victimization of the Christians that as Abid, which is a slave, this makes Sudan today as two countries instead of being it as one country. Simon, continue on telling us what was happening to you while you were a slave in Sudan. What sort of things were you doing as a slave? How did that family that you were given to treat you in those days? It is a very good question. And indeed, if we talk about what happened and then we don't elaborate, then people will not understand, especially when you're talking about a child nine years old. The slavery that you know, to those who read the brutalization and the victimization by reading the books or reading the Bible, it is something always beyond any person's imagination. When a person is being considered is not a person, when the person is be- being considered as a piece of property by another person, when a person is in a position or in a location where he or she cannot say no. When I was uh, a slave, I know only one, one word, and that was yes and yes to everything. I'm the first to get up in the morning and the last to go to bed. Even that I don't have a bed, I don't have a a place where I call bed like any human being because I was not being considered as human being. My place where I will spend the night is the place where they kept the animals. That by itself, I have to make sure that place is clean because this is where I will spend the night. People have to eat a regular meal as a human being. And if there is left over, that is what I rely on. I was beaten, tortured over and over for no reason at all. 
Even kids in my age, they will come and call in Arabic, which is bid they slave, for fun, where they will come and gang on me, beat me up. All I have to do is to cry for mercy. And then usually that mercy is not there. In other words, to make it very short, I went through hell. Imagine, and just for one minute for any person, for your listeners, so just close, envision that you are somewhere, you know a child, nine years old, and that nine years old was taken by somebody, kidnapped by somebody, and that nine years old cannot say no to anything. That probably will give you a glimpse. What am I talking about it? The slavery that we know, and the world knows that, is brutal. I know every single pain of it. Simon, not everyone was able to escape the way that you did. Tell us about your escape from slavery. Indeed, if I say to you that I was the only person to manage to escape, I will be lying. At that time, at that age, I don't know where the east, where the north. I was not in the school even to know the location and the direction where I would be going. Not even that. Usually when I'm being beaten and being tortured, I always being given a threat. There is a threat on the tables that if I may think of trying to run away, they will capture me and they will cut my leg. That threat itself, that terrified me. And I took that as a realist, being tortured and being beaten, now being threat. Of course, I took it as serious. That's not the, even the case. I was being told by the family, my slave masters, that if I want to be treated like a human being, I have to take the option which is on the table. That option is three things. One, convert to Islam. Two, to be given Arab name. Three, and become their son. Indeed, I did come close to take the two out of three, which is convert, take the Arab name. But how can I give away my identity? I have a lovely mother. I have a lovely dad. I have brothers and sisters. Now, somebody treating me I'm not a, as not a human being, and then they want to take my entire identity. Of course, since I cannot tell them no, all I have to tell them usually is, yes, I will let you know, and I will let you know, buying time, until that day come for my freedom. We're hearing the story of slavery and persecution under Islam. Our guest is Simon Deng. He's in Australia a guest of the Q Society, a number of speaking engagements. Simon, stay with us. We'll come back and continue our conversation in just a short while. We are hearing quite a difficult story to hear, a story of slavery and persecution under Islam. We're hearing the story of Simon Deng, who was raised as a Christian, and after frequent raids by the Sudanese army, he was abducted, and he was eventually given away as a gift and became a slave. We've heard how Simon escaped from his slavery. Simon, tell me, when you had escaped from your slavery, uh, there was a series of things that you went through where you even discovered that you could be a champion swimmer. But you got to a point where you said, I need to be an advocate for those who are still in slavery. Tell me how you started to emerge and realize that you had a voice that people would listen to. Uh, after I got out from the slavery, 
I was taken back by the individual who freed me from the slavery with, without, with, with no uh, given information to my slave master because they were afraid if they knew that I met somebody that I know, they would take me somewhere. And they were right. Yes, indeed. Uh, during that time, there was a peace agreement between the North and the South, which became known in Sudan as Addis Ababa Agreement, signed in Addis, where the Southern Sudanese felt that, yes, peace is good. Peace is better than war, even just for one minute better than one second in war. That peace agreement was being thrown away. And before the, being thrown away, when people start moving between North and South, I was the only person who is afraid to come interacted with any Northern Sudanese. I was the only person who is staying in one place. But everybody moving. Eventually, I was growing up. I have to move, and I came to cartoons. Got a job in the parliament as a messenger. And when I went with the, uh, through invitation from a friend of mine that happened to be a Muslim, a member of the swimming teams, invited me to go to a public pool with him, and I went there. It was shock when I was being thrown out in that pool, in public pools, and the water had to be drained because I was being told that that pool is not for a slave. And even I become to believe that I'm really a slave, even though they don't know that I was a slave. Nobody knows because what I did is to have a new identity, move on with my life like any other human being. I don't want anybody to know what happened to me as a child. Open a new chapter. And that was exactly what I did in Brest. Now I've been told something that I don't want to hear. Eventually, the young man who invited me, he felt bad and he felt disappointed by what happened, especially when he see, saw me that crying. He was the one who encouraged me that I should not give away. Uh, and he became my mentor in the swimming. We always go to the Nile for quite a sometimes. And then he was the one who put my names in the competition team, which was, took, took, took place in, the, in, in, in Northern Sudan in Khartoum. And then when we went for the competition, I took the first place in the second teams. And then from there, one of the team then registered my name. Of course, I didn't have a doubt because I want to prove that I'm no longer a slave. What I'm being described, what I'm being discriminated is not me. I'm a human being can do other people do. Of course, I move on and become a Sudanese swimming champion. Simon, eventually you were granted political asylum in the US and you began then to be a advocate for the freedom of slaves and others who are under uh, persecution in Islamic countries. Uh, I, how- left, I, left, I left Sudan purposely because things were going bad. There are law in, in Khartoum at that time in place from the government that a city needs to be clean, not to, for because of the dirt. It to be clean from the black people. Call in Arabic, the law of Kasha cleaning the city from the black people. People will be arrested so that they will be taken back to the war zone in the southern Sudan because the war become intensified because between the north and south. Sharia law becomes the law of the land. Most people who run into the northern Sudan, most of the majority of them to survive, they have to enter all these mostly Islamic schools and Arabic and so on. And people will come to me to ask me to go and rescue their loved one whom happened to be in jails. And every time I go there to release 10 to 15 people, I will always come out terrified from the look that I'm 
seeing from those whom I left behind. Their eyes telling me, what about us? What about, and I don't know them. I cannot free thousands of Southern Sudanese. And I took the case to the government of Sudan, of the case of these peoples. Now I become the voice because I know that they cannot speak for themselves. They are not free because they are now in the prisons. They did nothing at all. So I was being told that I should not get myself in something that where they would not save my neck. And I came back to question myself. Now I'm being accepted and my people are not. Then I'm not longer going to take it because I cannot turn a blind eye on my people. And I bought my way, I call it a ticket of no return, which I never went back to Khartoum again. And I went to the United States, this is where I went to take the case of my people to be their voice, because there is no one speaking for them. The reason there is no one, because when I was a slave, nobody were there for me. And now I'm no longer a slave, I'm a free man. Then I have to be a person because I know what it means to be in a situation where you cannot say no. I can know what it means to be in a position where you know only one word, and that word is yes, and yes to everything. Simon, you launched the Sudan Freedom Walk, and you did that both in the United States, and you did another one of those freedom walks in Europe. You've met uh, presidents, you've met senators. Uh, What sort of reaction have you received when you've brought these concerns before leaders of the world? It it brought the tears in my eyes, and that telling me that, yes, slavery is wrong. If I can be accepted and given a hug by the President of the United States, if I can be accepted and be invited by the the leader of the United States Senate and the Congress, uh, being accepted by the people of free world, then I have to be a companion. I have to be the voice of my peoples for those who are not free, because I know it will take somebody who is not free to free someone who is not free. Simon, these days you're active in peace and reconciliation talks with the people of southern Sudan. When you're travelling Australia and you're talking to audiences here, what are you hoping that Australians might be able to contribute to uh, the way that you are, in fact, going in to be an advocate for people who are uh, caught in these persecution situations? Australia can contribute and can do a lot. Knowing that this this will not be the first time. Australia was a place where the southern Sudanese come and they find home. And I even now sitting with uh, kids who happen to be Australian kids. These are the southern Sudanese kids. They have relatives. They have their grandma. They have their their grandfather. Are now what we know from the United Nations. Today, the UN telling us that there are 4 million southern Sudanese are now starving to death. It is not Simon saying it. It is the UN. There are now about 2 million refugees in southern Sudan. That's not me who is saying that. It is the world, but it is United Nations, which is Australia is playing a big role in, in that place. There are 70,000 southern Sudanese dead now due, during the time of the conflict in that country. Australia can do, a, can do a lot. Not because I told them, because of the sex of the Australian kids who happen to have relatives in that place dying now on establishments. Well, Simon, it's just amazing hearing your story. And I know that there'll be listeners to our conversation who'll be moved 
by the plight of people who are still caught in slavery in so many nations around the world. And you are a guest on your visit to Australia of the Q Society. I'll point people to the Q Society's website at www.qsociety.org.au. It's an organisation that is concerned about rising Islamisation here in Australia. Simon Deng, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today on 2020. And thank you for giving me this opportunity. God bless and God bless Australia. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts. Or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.